0: Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me for another great episode to help you up your game in talent development. And today we're gonna to be talking about a couple subjects that I think will be helpful for many people out there in the talent development world. One is needs assessments So how do you figure out what exactly is needed in a situation, especially when a leader or an executive comes to you with a request for some type of training? How do you figure out if that training is actually needed or if it's something else? And if you haven't even thought about doing a needs assessment or you haven't done a needs assessment in the past, this episode might be really helpful and inspiring. And if you have been doing needs assessments, this might be a good reminder to you, Of why it's so important to do these needs assessments, to to find out this information up front and really truly get to the why behind any request that comes to you before you start creating training and doing things that might actually harm your reputation in the long run. And you'll hear why that might be from my guest in a few moments. The other thing we're diving into in this episode is ERP implementation, which is obviously not a very exciting subject, but when I talk with my colleagues out there in the talent development world, especially members in the talent development, think Tank community. And this subject comes up about software platform implementation, whether it's ERP, LMS. I find that most people have had some involvement in this in some way, whether it be o- overseeing the whole thing or just the little pieces of it. And oftentimes it can be frustrating. And so I'm hoping this episode will help you with that as well. And you're going to see how these two things tie together. So my guest today is Jerry Dugan, who is the Director of Organizational Effectiveness for a Healthcare System in Dallas, Texas. With almost two decades of experience in the learning and development industry, Jerry leads a small team responsible for new hire orientation, leadership development, team building, and other instructional design duties as assigned. Jerry has a master's of science in education technology that he earned in 2012 from Texas A&M. He's also a U.S. Army combat veteran living in Dallas, Texas with his wife, Olivia, and have two adult children as well as three cats and a dog named Oreo. And now as I read that, I realize we did not talk about the cats or the dog in the interview. So I hope that you're not disappointed by that. But we do talk about Jerry's background coming out of the Army and getting into the idea of needing a needs assessment for every type of training you get requests for. And then how Jerry used a needs assessment to put a proper plan together to really build out and implement this ERP that they just put in place and launched very recently. This is an episode full of great advice and practical tips, and I hope you get tons of value. So enjoy. All right. Joined now by Jerry Dugan, who is Director of Organizational Effectiveness for a Healthcare System in Dallas. Jerry, welcome to the show. Hey, that's me. I win. Yeah. <laughs> Come on down, Jerry. You are on the talent development hot seat. And it's cool to have you here because you and I have known each other for a few years now. I think we originally connected on LinkedIn. We met at the podcast conference years yep. ago. I've been on your show and as a fellow podcaster, and now having you on mine because we're like, oh, we actually work in the same space, talent development, and, and talking with you about some of the things that you've been working on in your your quote day job, right? Yeah. (laughs) I think there's a lot that can be shared that people can learn from.
1: Yeah. Oh, this is exciting to actually be on a show that does actually relate to my day job and have an audience that will understand what I'm talking about. And like, My poor family that has to listen to me talk about this all the time. Like, oh, we did
0: work, Dad. (laughs) What is it it that you do again? Yeah, so we're talking talking talent development. We're we're talking, uh, especially getting into like needs assessments and ERP implementation. And you just finished a big one of those. Mm -hmm. And it's maybe not the most exciting topic in the world. And yet it's something that I bring up In talent development, and and most people have had some sort of exposure or involvement and and frustration, right, with it. And so, I know a lot of people are always interested in in learning about that topic. But you know, before we go there, let's just start with a little bit of your background. You know, how did you get into learning and development, and and what are you doing today?
1: All right. Well, it turns out I got into learning and development by accident. I think is the best way to describe that. Uh, I was a pre med student when I went to college, but then there's a reason why I'm not a doctor because the GPA wasn't there. However, my faculty advisor was like, well, maybe you should think about teaching because he knew even though my GPA was barely above a 2.0, that I was somehow tutoring the folks who were getting A's and B's in the same course in the same courses. Hmm. So he's like, all right, I don't think Jerry wants to be a doctor but he seems to be gifted in teaching people and helping them understand concepts that he himself isn't even getting right on the test. So maybe I can redirect him. And, and Wait, you know, did you,
0: by the way, did you ever go back and, and try to understand why that's happening, that you are not performing very well on the exams or the assignments, but you're actually able to help teach other people?
1: No, I I never did. Uh, well, at the time I didn't, but you know, now that I do what I do a few years back, I was just kind of reflecting on life. I think because, my kids were asking me, you know, what did I go to college to study? Because mm. when they understood, it was nothing like what I do today. Right. And so I, when I described to them, I was a pre-med student. They're like, why? What happened? And do you not know science? Like you were a medic in the army. And I'm like, huh. well, apparently I did know science. I just didn't mm. want to do it. And so, yeah, it just, it seemed like a self-sabotage kind of thing. Like, you know, there was a lot of pride driving me to be a pre-med student. Like it was like, mm. you know, all the smartest guys in this school, our pre-med students. Yeah. And if I don't hack it there, then I'm going to be made fun of. It was like a lot of weird self set of standards I put on myself and yeah. it was this whole higher. Yeah. yeah. And so I stuck it out, not because I wanted to be a doctor, but because I, I needed to prove to everybody I could do it and get mm-hmm. a bachelor's in chemistry biology. And, and I did, and you know, to this deck and I could pick up on it pretty quickly. I mean, yeah. you're not going to see me creating a, cure for cancer or, you know, the, the next best rocket fuel or, you know, developing cars that run on water or anything like that. But right. I can at least read a journal and understand what they're saying or how a vaccine works.
0: <laughs> so, right. okay. yeah, interesting. And yeah. was that before or after you went into the army?
1: Before. So the army was sort of a. Uh, I still thought I wanted to be a doctor and I was out of money to go on to grad school or take any remedial courses. And a lot of schools advised me, well, if you have medical experience, you, you can probably get in on that. So it offsets your, your grades. However, I had no money to go to nursing school or to go to even get a CNA certification. So the army was really a way to get trained and get paid and have a job and get that experience because I was broke. And, uh, and on top of that, I was you know 22 and I was kind of tired of just going to class every day of my life. And I thought, well, they'll also pay me to travel the world. So that was why I joined the army as a medic. And yeah, about four and a half years later, I got out. And I got my first job as an education coordinator uh, because I had a family to support by then. Yeah. And you know, to, to get out and be an EMT basic, which was the only thing I was certified to do when I was in the army, I was looking at either getting paid about $8 an hour to drive an ambulance and mm-hmm. do nothing, or more like $18 to $20 an hour and run an orientation program for new hires at a hospital. Mm-hmm. And so I, I chose the latter. And so that's how I started teaching. And then that department said, hey, we want to send you off to nursing school, when do you want to apply for nursing school? And I, I hesitated and they're like, huh, this is interesting, Jerry. Why don't you go home, think about it and then let us know if you really want to be a nurse. And it it turned out I did not want to be a nurse. I did not want to even become a doctor someday. Hmm. And I was actually enjoying the idea of leading training sessions every, every other Monday. And, you know, that's pretty much all I did was orientation for new employees, student orientation. I was setting up um, high school tours in the hospital I was even a liaison for a health sciences program for a high school. And so I started to gravitate towards that and yeah, then I jumped out of that and went into real estate, which is a Mm -hmm. weird pivot in my career.
0: So real estate, but then you got back into learning and development.
1: Yes, because when you get into real estate right before the bubble bursts, it turns out making money is a harder thing to do if you're not established. Uh, And I realized I have a GI Bill I could use and and I could go back to school, maybe pick up an MBA and then get a job as a manager or something. Uh, It was my wife, though, who kind of looked at me and said, you know, maybe you should look into something in education. And I was like, "Eh, what does she know? And as soon as I thought that to myself, as cocky as it sounded, it sounds cockier when I say it out loud. uh, It was still bad when it was in my head. Uh, But anyway, my whole life flashed before my eyes. Uh, The conversation with my faculty advisor that, you know, like maybe you should be a teacher when I was in the army, you know, I was always the guy picked to tutor all the other classmates when I was going through training. Even when I was a medic, I was the guy that got pulled aside to lead training sessions about like medical procedures and, and first aid and that kind of stuff. And my first job out of the army was education coordinating. And even as a real estate agent, I spent more time probably teaching customers about buying a home, selling a home, or teaching other agents about our marketing process. Mm. And so it kind of hit me. like My wife just picked up on a pattern I've ignored for a long time. Mm. And so I went back to school, got a master's degree in educational technology and instructional design. I was working at a women's shelter as a community educator at the time. And started applying what I learned in school to that, revamped their orientation program, started revamping some of the training materials, and then I got picked up for a, a large uh, healthcare organization called Christus Health, and so that's when I I guess I kind of finally started to arrive in in my role as an educator, a corporate talent development person.
0: Yeah, that's so, cool. And today, are you sort of getting involved in in all facets of talent development, learning and development at this point in in healthcare?
1: Yeah, I mean in the sense that I'm now a director of a team that does that type of thing. Uh, so we're a small team. There's about four of us all together. We're hiring for our fifth person to round the team back out again. And so I've got an LMS administrator. I've got an instructional designer and two uh, strategists we call OE strategists, organizational effectiveness. And if those OE strategists wear multiple hats, they're one part OD consultants, but the bulk of their work is leading orientation, for all employees, for new leaders, they do leadership development programs, a lot of leadership development programs, and a lot of soft skills development like conflict management, emotional intelligence, uh, self-awareness, those types of things. So those the kind of programs we've been delivering since I've been on board.
0: Awesome. So yeah, you're getting involved in a lot of different things. One of the things that, that came up when, when you and I talked before is this sort of interest and passion around needs assessment and not just jumping into... You know, oh, implementing yeah. a new program or the thing that I think gets a lot of people in LD, especially when they're earlier in their career, is just responding to whatever request comes their way, yes. right, instead of stopping and, and really trying to figure out, okay, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? So talk me through what does what your process look like and why are you so passionate about that subject.
1: Uh, Because, I mean, unlike the K through 12 and the higher education arenas where you have a subject and the objective is to teach the subject and, you know, all the, the learning objectives that go with that. When you're talking about training and development in the corporate space, there's that You know, if you're familiar with Kirkpatrick's four levels of evaluation, there's kind of the unwritten fifth evaluation. That's what's my return on the investment here. If I'm going to pay for a training developer and a trainer and for people to go to this training and for the materials and the catering and all that, what am I getting out of that? And so your needs assessment does a number of things. So the why behind a needs assessment is it lets you know if training is even needed in the first place. So before you spend money on any type of training development and training execution, Do you really need to put people in a classroom for any amount of time, or is it something else altogether? And so there's that. But then, are you developing the right kind of training for the right kind of people? And as you dig deeper, you find out that may not be the case either. So that's a big part of my why needs assessment is so important. And when we're younger in our careers and somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, I need to have a Conflict management class for my department of a hundred people for our team meeting next week, and you're thinking, oh yeah, well a good conflict management class is going to take at least a day, and you're like, great, I can offer up about thirty minutes. What can you deliver in that time? And you're like, oh, well, I can cover some key points there. And right. so you spend thirty minutes of their time. A hundred people get paid for thirty minutes to listen to you talk about conflict. Nothing's changed, and, and it's because they didn't apply the right kind of training and the right kind of follow up. Uh, but what what winds up happening for the trainer is over time you start being seen as a waste of money. And, and so when times get tough, like in a recession, you know, it's like, well, what does Jerry do? Well, he just shows up and talks about emotions or he comes and talks about stress relief. And and they're like, Well, we ain't got time for that, and we don't have money for it anymore. So, Jerry, good luck to you, and off you go. So, a needs assessment is also great for a tr- talent development person because it's also career protection but also career growth and a, it's, it's a security blanket and insurance policy in a way so
0: uh, it's a way to take more of a consultative approach to, to yeah. show to stakeholders executives later on that you are paying attention to the business needs and what people actually need and want and you're, you're actually solving problems rather than just filling holes
1: exactly exactly you know sometimes the education request or the training request is just to fill a block of time in a team or department meeting so you also want to able to discern what's the motivation behind that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as process goes with the needs assessment, you know, typically it's a phone call that comes in or an email and somebody's asking for a very specific topic for their whole department. And when it comes to performance management, it, there's usually like what, four buckets that something's going wrong. It's either uh, the environment's not right to support the work that needs to be done. So maybe it's the workflow, the setup, the policies, maybe it's the motivation that the the policies are set up or the behaviors of the leadership are set up in a way that it's reinforcing the undesired behaviors, not the desired behaviors. And so the, oh, there's that the external pol, uh, motivation. And then you got the the environment piece. And then there's the one I never remember. And then there's the the knowledge and training piece and the skills piece. And so if, if you can truly prove the person does not know how to do a thing, does not know anything about a thing, then that's when you would do training. But training is usually the first thing people call out and ask for. Like, hey, we need training on blank. So knowing that, First question I always ask the, the leader who's asking for that training support is, what is the thing you're trying to fix with that training? So after somebody goes through this program or a program, what is going to be better than it is right now? And from that moment, they tell you the initial problem. And I don't always trust the uh, the initial <laughs> answer. It's kind of like reporting, right? You never trust the very first breaking report. It's as more information comes out, right. you realize the true aha moment. And so, so for example, if somebody says, I need uh, training on how to be nice to each other, that's what my department needs, how to be nice to each other. That's a very broad thing. And so it's like, well, is it that everybody's being mean to each other? What's going on there? Is it the whole department? And they'll, they'll say, you know, it's yeah, it's starting to become. The whole department. I'd be like,
0: let me give you training on how to be nice to each other. Be nice to each other. Like, yes. There's your right? training. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, but you know, Folks won't just take that because they'll be like, well, Jerry, just, he, he gave me a short answer and didn't give me what I needed and off yeah. they go and they complain about you to the executives and, and then your name goes up on the next chopping block. So it's like, how do you navigate that water set of waters still deliver them something of value. And that's where you just kind of you go into that consultative mode, as you said, or that coaching mode. Uh, so what is it you're trying to solve with the training? And then from there, yes, clarifying questions. So uh, is it everybody's demonstrating this behavior across the board uh, or is it just a few people? Is it one person? What's, What's happening there? Do you ever witness people acting courteous to each other? most of the day. And they're like, yeah, you know, everybody's nice to each other. And, and and so it's just asking enough questions, to get an idea of who the audience is. So it's the Addy model. It's like, you know, what's going on with the audience. So who is it we're trying to help? How are we trying to help them? What is actually happening with that audience? I spend a lot of time on the A part of that Addy model. And so we really break down the who, what's happening, what's the behavior they're trying to fix. And so oftentimes what you'll find out is that it's, it's one person, maybe two people, and
0: I'm, I knew you are going to go there. I was just going to say, right? you know, oh, everybody <laughs> needs training on being nice. Like, well, who is it? And then it's like one or two people who are being jerks or fighting. Exactly. And then, and then you're getting into that classic problem of a oh, one person is not is not paying attention or not doing things right. So we're going to train everybody yes. so that we don't have to call them out and coach them specifically.
1: Exactly. Because and then you've got to now coach and consult that leader through that process of accepting that the solution here is to hold that one person accountable to policies and expectations they already know. Mm. And and so there's that. And so the learning and development piece isn't even to a group of people in a department now. The learning and development piece is now for one manager to you know, remember coaching and remember the, the progressive disciplinary actions and how to have that conflict conversation with that employee and to set accountability and to hold them accountable. And so that's the, the neatest thing for me out of the needs assessment is that uh, most of the time when we do a needs assessment, it, it does transition into a coaching or consulting session. Uh, and then we just do a follow-up later on, like a month down the road, connect with that leader. Uh, because when we're done, uh, my team, when we're done talking with that manager we've helped them remember that there's that progressive discipline process or policy. We've walked them through how to initiate that confrontation conversation, mm-hmm. how to set those expectations on behavior, who to contact in case they need to escalate this, so their HR director or their HR office and you know, if there's any additional resources needed, we we can assist the manager with that. But we're not going to go to that one individual and try to fix that individual for them. We're not going to put two, you know, there's a bullying situation. We're not going to put the two people in that situation together in a room and have them hash it out. We, we help them hone in on who the perpetrator is of the, the behavior. All that from the needs assessment. So that's most of what comes out of our needs assessments. But then every so often, there truly is a need for the training. And uh, that needs assessment will let you know. Uh, is it motor skills that need to be learned? Is it a cognitive you know, belief type of thing that needs to be built up, like appreciation for diversity? Is it just recollection of a process? So just like recall type of information. And all that will tell you what kind of delivery to, to set up your training to be. So whether it's in person or uh, online only, or, hey, read this policy and sign off on this acknowledgement form. Yeah, you know, uh, a needs assessment will really help you hone in on what needs to be done. What kind of domain does it fit in and what kind of delivery goes with that that training?
0: COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat. known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Okay. So really starting with understanding truly like what is the need and then being willing to, after you're investigating the problems and what's going on and what's truly happening, being willing to push back and say, well, I don't think your issue is training or it's might be this one person, or I'm curious, you know, how you handle that situation where the manager comes to you and says, we need training on conflict and I can give you 30 minutes at my offsite next Thursday? Like, I mean, How do you approach that situation?
1: It's kind of the same thing in terms of I'd love to come and talk to your team for 30 minutes. What is it you're trying to fix with like what's going on that requires conflict management training uh, and why can you only give 30 minutes for it? But I start with the why do you need the training in the first place? And a lot of times they think that'll fix, it's the band-aid that'll fix everything. And, and then we'll just go down that same path I talked about earlier. But sometimes it is the, I just want to fill up the space. I, I got 30 minutes to do professional development and that's the thing I thought of. And you're like, oh, okay, well, is that, <laughs> is that the route you want to go? If you could have anything to cover the 30 minutes and make the most out of that time, be something that you, you feel your team needs that you know could be pivoted just a little bit. And they might say it's just, you know, maybe it's team building or so it is just using those questions to to dig a little bit deeper, like why conflict management or any specific topic. And then from there, you know, if the need is conflict for sure, Mm -hmm. the conversation goes into well what's going on. And if it turns out it is just a widespread toxic environment, we start now talking about what would a team building slash behavior expectation session look like and we would start talking about you know how much time would be needed for that to truly be done and what winds up happening in in some of these cases is that that 30-minute block isn't even going to be used for anything related to the training needed we wind up scheduling something else later on down the road Mm. or we dedicate more time during that team development time to Needs to get covered,
0: they they start to see the the importance of it and the need to either you know dedicate more time this time or or do something later. Yeah, I want to segue to the other topic that I mentioned as we were getting into this interview, which was implementing an ERP new ERP system. Something Mm. that I, I know many of our listeners have had experience with, whether it be ERP or LMS or you know, some we all need software and platforms to support what we're doing. There's lots of options. It seems like none of them are ever perfect and every implementation endeavor requires a lot of work, help from, you know, the provider. Some of times they're there to hold your hand and sometimes they're not. I've heard all kinds of different stories. Mm-hmm. How did you approach this? Tell us about the situation and how did you approach the the needs assessment, right? Because I'm sure you started with that. Like what do oh, we yeah. need? Like, oh, you need? Why, <laughs> why, why go on this journey?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we started creating Twitter job aids without any question whatsoever. No, I'm kidding. No, so we, uh, uh We got pulled into the project after it was decided we're going with a specific ERP platform, big move for the organization pulling its technology pieces around human capital management, finance, and supply chain management, as well as payroll all together, all at the same time. Now my team I mentioned earlier is small. In fact, at the time this project launched, I only had an LMS administrator and two strategists, no instructional designer Hmm. and so from there just started, you know, asking questions around what kind of training do we need? What what are the biggest things that we need so that the launch is successful? And now, fortunately it wasn't just me solo because this was my first full on ERP project. I got to witness it somewhere else, but now here I am in the middle of it in charge of the training component for this ERP implementation. We had an implementation partner. They had a consultant with me and we kind of walked through what would be needed for a successful implementation. And so from there, we, we determined that it was, you know, really a lot of like motor skills type of stuff. Like I go into the system and this is how I navigate. This is how I do this process. This is how I do this process. Lots of reference guides, uh, but we'd also need live training to transition from how we used to do things. So a lot of crosswalk type of training. We used to do it this way. It's now done this way. We used to do it this way. It's now done this way. So very technical stuff. And so from there. So I'm talking, trying to talk high level here. So from there, I you know answered the question for my VP, what kind of staffing would I need? I told him I probably need about six instructional designers, maybe four or five. That's just to get us to launch day. And then what I'll need is to maintain this library after we launch. So it wasn't just like to get us to, to launch, but beyond the launch. And, and so we, we worked up what are our staffing needs for that? And so once we determined what needs to be developed Lots of job aids, demonstration videos, a couple of live sessions, maybe open what we call uh, a rodeo show or a, a road show, road roadshow to go around and just answer questions. So FAQ times, we, we offered those and we talked about staffing needs. We, we got some of our instructional designers from our implementation partner and I was able to bring on my own instructional designer because that's the one who's going to stay after everything implemented. And then uh, our project did something I've been told is unique. So you have us, you have our implementation partner, Mm -hmm. and then we hired another consulting firm to represent us to make sure the implementation partner did everything they were supposed to do. And and when I first heard of this, I thought, man, that's kind of like, Throwing money away, isn't it? But,
0: right. To hire someone just to hold the your partner yeah. accountable that they're going to yeah. do the things that they're uh, obligated to we, do. We
1: hired consultants to help us manage the consultants, and I'm like, yeah. I don't, I don't understand how that works. But when we're now like a year and a half into the project and we're about to launch, I learned why <laughs> we hired yeah. consultants to manage the consultants because, and it has nothing to do against the implementation partner. Um, you know, the the good people when you talk to them outside the project. But I think a lot of how their systems are set up as far as how they're reimbursed uh, and their paychecks come to them, Mm -hmm. uh, it has a lot to do with that project management mentality of I got to check the box. That's all we we agreed about all these check boxes at the start, whether you know or not, those are the things we need to get done. Those are the things we agreed to. That's all I'm obligated to deliver at a minimum. And so when things start to get into crunch time. It's all about getting those boxes checked
0: and they don't care if it actually incentivized to get it done. Right. Exactly.
1: And so those check boxes are what's incentivized for these implementation partners industry-wide is my understanding. So as you start getting into crunch time, they go one of two routes. They either start getting things checked off and signed off by the client, whether it works or not, they don't kind of care. They just got to get these things signed off Uh, because if it turns out not to work, it's back on the client. It's like, well, you signed off on this. And you're like, ah, uh, and so that's one route. The other one is if we're going to miss the deadline, let's do a change order, you know, so for an additional four weeks, we could bring on these resources and it'll just cost you $300,000 or half a million dollars, whatever it is. So they're extending the the deadline out and putting the cost on the customer. And and so at least that was kind of uh, what I've heard as an experience and and what I was kind of seeing. So our our other consultant was there to say, hey, wait a sec. The agreement was this, you never delivered this. So we're not signing off on that. And there is no extra charge for the extra time you need to do because that was you. And so having them really kept them in line. They also provided us with two instructional designers. So the leadership dynamic for me was interesting because I had my own team. I had my own team doing the regular business on the side. So the LMS administrator strategists are doing their own thing. But I also had to collaborate and get four instructional designers from our implementation partner to be on my side. And then I had the two instructional designers from the other consultant. And so getting three companies to work together as if they all worked for me was, mm. that was probably the biggest leadership challenge I had there. Mm. Now going back to the needs assessment though, you know, my instructional designer was awesome because she was not originally an instructional designer by trade. I, I trained her up. She was actually an OD consultant that I was hiring as a backup OE strategist. And mm-hmm. I cross-trained her into instructional design. The look on her face when I gave her the digital blueprints to all the ERP pro- processes. Yeah. was like, you want me to do what? I was like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Just go through all those. And every time you see one of these squares, yeah. that task inside needs to be a task on the uh the curriculum. Right. And so she mapped out, I, I lost count how many processes, but in the end she had a curriculum with, I think it was like 300 potential job aids and demo videos and interactive training tools. And it was categorized based on batched <laughs> processes and a very impressive. So for those of you who lead training development teams, delegate. Delegate, delegate, because okay. I would have pulled my hair out. What little I have left, yeah. um, if I had to do that myself. Yeah, for the ERP, we got our hands on the blueprints after I think it was the first phase. Mapped up our, our curriculum, and we did a uh, somewhere in between that and the initial conversations. We did an inventory of what capabilities we have. So, what tools do we have for training development? PowerPoint, Word documents. What kind of LMS? What kind of e-learning development tools? Now, in the end, we bought a f- a new tool that allowed us to do screen captures and turn those screen captures into a job aid demonstration, video, and interactive learning all from one screen capture. Mm -hmm. And then if we want to add voiceover, we could do that. And uh, so we looked at two or three different products like that. And, And that was a first for our organization. And yeah, with that, uh, it was, just, it's a cool tool. I could probably go on forever about that tool alone, but that's not why we're here. So, yeah, you know, we inventoried our tools. We inventoried the tasks that needed to be captured, figured out how many people were needed to develop all these job aids. We partnered with our subject matter experts and built relationships with all of them. And then after that, it was just competing with competing priorities. So you know, our subject matter experts were developing the ERP and doing the implementation while we're also trying to sneak them away to do screen captures with us and you know, teach us how to write out the instructions and so on. But yeah, in the end, we we launched a year and a half later from the start and we ended up with 190 job aids. I think we compiled those job aids into seven different books. Those are all available online digitally in and they're centralized in an online Library, So if we have to make an update because, you know, software systems update all the time, mm. I don't have to dig around for that missing Word document or start from scratch. I just go into our library, find that job aid and update the step that changed, publish. And wherever we put that job aid, whether it's the in-browser support tool, our intranet and our learning management system, in an email tucked away in a, in a saved folder, that job aid updates to all those places. So that Hmm. that learning content management system was really huge and a big, I mean, to this day, it's only been three months since we launched, but.
0: Yeah. yeah. It it sounds like it's going well. And a big reason for that was that you did that assessment in the beginning to figure out exactly what you needed, put the resources in the right place and be able to delegate effectively and partner with different organizations and consultants and Mm -hmm. uh, people to make sure everything is taken care of.
1: Yeah, because it allowed us to prioritize. I think the the final curriculum that I mentioned earlier that my employee had built out was initially 300 potential job aids. I think when we worked with our other consulting firm, it swelled up to about 700 potential job aids, mm. And in the end, we only published 190 because that's how much we had time for and manpower for. That needs assessment allowed us to prioritize, you know, which of these do we actually develop, which ones are not needed, you know. There were requests for live sessions that were kind of outside the scope of what the needs assessment showed we really needed. And so the needs assessment and the analysis that we wrote afterwards allowed us to show the guardrails and why they existed. And, and when we dug a little bit deeper, the special training session wasn't going to impact more than like four or five people. And you know, we needed to impact like hundreds of people at a time. So it's that, that kind of benefit that that needs assessment brings.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. Anything as we sort of start to wrap things up you think about the idea of putting a needs assessment together, really analyzing what needs to be done so that you can manage a huge process like this. First of all, I'm curious, is there a template or something that you go to a resource that you recommend for people that are just starting out putting together needs assessments for something like this? Oh
1: man, I have the perfect book. And it's in my office
0: right down the street. I'm like, ah,
1: there is a book I'll have to dig up and I'll have to email it to you. And you'll just have to post produce. it. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry finally looked it up. The whole book is kind of outdated. It was written like 30 years ago, but in the book is a flow chart. And in that flow chart is all the questions I ever really ask when I do a needs assessment. So when I do have that manager who calls me and asks me for a training on something, I mean, I kind of have it memorized now, but in my early days as an instructional designer and as a talent development person, I would just have that thing on my desk or posted right there in my cubicle. Mm-hmm. And I'd ask the first question. So what is it you want to kind of solve when people go through this training? And they're like, oh, yeah. all right, well, who who is it we're trying to help? Okay. <laughs> is it all of them? And it was just like, boom, boom. it yeah. was like a flow chart, if this, then that. And then yes, yeah. no, go here, go there. And right. in the end it had like these different types of modalities and whether or not training was needed. And so I'll have to get a copy of that or that title to you as soon as I get back to the office. And, but yeah, that book, that book, the one that Andy's going to talk about in the closing.
0: Yes. Right. So reference <laughs> our show notes and possibly note afterwards. I also just Googled and it looks like ATD also has a, a a blog post on the oh, website: yeah. How to conduct a needs assessment. Have not read that, but there looks like there's some information there. Oh yeah, and- oh yeah.
1: ATD is awesome. They're a fire hose of resources. If you want to just watch me have ADHD for a full day, watch me log into the ATD website and
0: yeah, just that's bounce it. around. Yeah. yeah, it looks like it looks like Sherm also has an article on how to conduct a needs assessment. Oh wow. So, so yeah, do do some Googling, and we'll we'll put in the the link to the book after you send that over to me. I guess the last question would be for anybody that is starting out thinking about this. And, you know, obviously we, we talked about a template, having the right questions to ask, you know, starting by really getting curious and taking a consultative approach, anything else that you would recommend people really need to keep in mind throughout the process so they can stay true to this and, and not get sucked into just reacting to whatever they're being yeah. asked for and then missing all kinds of stuff.
1: I think the biggest thing, if you're familiar with like Gagne's nine events of, of instruction, the one thing that was a problem where I used to work, the problem, the place where I worked before that and where I am now is we organizationally, no one seems to ever really care about that ninth event of instruction. And that's what is the reinforcement plan for this? Mm. So I just spent a lot of money sending my whole department to say a conflict management or a team building session that's a one-time event, but if we're going to really hardwire those skills or those knowledge pieces into our behaviors, there needs to be something that kind of reminds us every day or every week, every other month of those concepts that were covered, those expectations. And, and we tend to just focus on the event, the learning event itself. And we never really offer up what happens after the learning event to reinforce the skills, the knowledge, and the behaviors that we need to see from that training. And I think if we, convince our clients more and more to have that kind of plan in place, have a plan to follow up with them to see how things are going. You you truly shift from just somebody who does training sessions to that trusted advisor that helps people truly build highly effective, high-performing teams.
0: Yeah, makes sense. That's, that's great advice. And I hope everybody's paying attention, taking notes. I've been taking notes over here because this is something that can save so much time and headache and i know many people are probably nodding thinking like yep i've made that mistake i've responded and and created that 30-minute conflict session which is just me talking about hey don't have conflict um <laughs> <laughs> there's your training going back to my helping people be nicer at work training just be just be nice to nice. people that's, that's it, <laughs> it. jerry this has been great for anybody that wants to connect with you and and maybe you know get more advice from you specifically on needs assessment and ERP implementation. I'm sure some people might be even curious about the, the platform partner that you went with and the consulting company. And and I purposely did not ask you for those here, but I'm sure other people might want to ask you about that yeah. later. Is LinkedIn the best place for them to go? How should they reach yeah. out to
1: you? LinkedIn is one good spot. Uh, Jerry Dugan. Uh, you, you'll probably see me promoting my my hobby podcast that I do when I'm not in my day job, uh, but you'll, you'll see that I'm there and Dallas area, all that good stuff. So you can message me through LinkedIn and also my personal email address, Jerry S Dugan. So Jerry S is in Samuel Dugan at gmail.com.
0: Got it. And uh, tell, tell me about the hobby. What's the, uh, tell us about the hobby podcast and what else you do outside all of right. So yeah.
1: for the last seven years, I've had a show called beyond the rut. And it's a show that showcases inspiring and encouraging stories of people who found themselves stuck in a rut or through a tough season and they pulled themselves out of it, and they're living a life that is meaningful for them. So our hope is that you listen to the show, you get inspired by it, and you kind of look up, look forward, plan your own life so that you live a meaningful life because you know, life's just too short to live stuck in a rut.
0: I agree completely, and you've had some great episodes on there, a lot of great, great quality stuff. Uh, I love this idea of helping people move beyond that rut. I've faced my share of challenges, and I know that those things are going to come up, right? And people get into rut, experience all kinds of bad things and hard things in life. And I believe much of success in life is determined by how we respond to these events right, when they happen. And I was lucky to be a guest on that show as well to talk about my experience in overcoming cancer as well as other challenges. So if anybody's interested in that, go check out Beyond the Rut. Reach out to Jerry on LinkedIn and stay tuned for our next conversation where I'll be asking Jerry a few more questions about his career and what he's following in talent development. But for now, Jerry, thank you so much for being here. All right. Thank you. This was a blast. Hey, and one more note, during our conversation, Jerry mentioned a book that has been really helpful to him in his career, and he couldn't remember the name, and he emailed me excitedly after we got off the interview, and that book is called Analyzing Performance Problems, or You Really Oughta Wanna, How to Figure Out Why People Aren't Doing What They Should Be and What to Do About It by Robert F. Mager and Peter Pipe, and we will put a link to that in the show notes below. All right. That will do it for my interview with Jerry Dugan. I hope you enjoyed that and got value from it. I definitely enjoyed hearing him talk about the importance of using the needs assessment. I think it's so imperative and so important that as a L&D professional, you take a consultative approach to the work that you're doing. And you don't just act as an order taker. I know many people early in their careers tend to act that way, right? You're you're flattered, you're just excited and, and trying to add value and people come to you with requests and you're like, yeah, let me, let me do something for you. But as I've done interviews over the last four plus years on this podcast, and I often ask people about their biggest career mistake, I think the most common one that's come up has been just taking orders from people without really asking a lot of questions. And some of the biggest and best advice and most common advice has been to take more of a consultative approach to do that needs assessment, to ask questions and really figure out the why behind learning. If you're really interested in this topic, we also did an episode a ways back with my friend Jess Omley, who is a member of the Talent Development Think Tank community on taking a consultative approach to learning. That was episode 240, which came out in August of 2021. So it's about a year back. And she's also done a call inside the Talent Development Think Tank community very recently about taking a consultative approach to learning and even led a session for us at the Talent Development Think Tank retreat on this topic. And very recently, my friend Pete Lecombe, who is also a longtime member of the Think Tank community, did a session for us on influencing stakeholders. And he leveraged some of what Jess taught and we started with the foundation of taking a consultative approach to learning and then using that to build trusting and influential relationships with stakeholders so that you can achieve more in your role as a talent development professional. The recordings from those calls, especially that recent one that we did With Pete Leckenby just a week ago are available in our vault in the Talent Development Think Tank and we also do live calls every Wednesday in the Talent Development Think Tank community. In fact, we just did one recently about onboarding. It was more of an open forum call. We had about 30 or so people on who were discussing their different approaches to onboarding and it was a really great discussion. The next call we have coming up in the community, which will be just a day after this episode airs on August 9th, will be about developing your leaders into talent magnets, and that'll be led by my friend, Travis Dommert, who's in the community and who has been on this podcast in the past. And then we have more calls coming up on trust and resilience, revamping performance management, professional development trends, understanding motivation, how to win the war for talent, career development. And the intersection of DEI and talent development, among other topics that I know we'll be covering in the future. We may even do a session on doing a needs analysis and or ERP implementation. All just depends on what people really want to hear because the talent development think tank community that I run is truly a community. It's based on what people want what they want to discuss, and it's about really solving real challenges. What I heard when I started this community over two years ago was, hey, we can attend webinars all the time and learn from so-called gurus, but we really want to dig into the real issues and things that we're working on and hear how other people have solved them, what they've tried, what worked, and what has not And just today, we had a think tank call about onboarding and one member was sharing her challenge in her organization, what she's trying to figure out. She got a ton of great suggestions and she was so excited. She was already calling people in the organization to start taking steps to implement the things that she learned today. And that is what we do in this community. It's about practical advice and really taking steps to help you achieve more in talent development. Now, if you're not a member, I would love for you to come check it out. Our website is tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank, tdtt.us. When you sign up, you can use the code HOTSEAT, H-O-T-S-E-A-T, for 10% off. You can also reach out to me, either email or over LinkedIn, if you have any questions or you want to check out a call first. My email is andy at andystorch.com. And finally, I want to remind you that our podcast is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous stream of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. And I was formerly a partner with Advantage Performance Group. In fact, I just had dinner very recently with partner at Advantage that I've been good friends with for many years, and he's still there doing really great work for organizations, implementing things like leadership development using the Multipliers Program, Psychological Safety, and EQ and all kinds of really great stuff, business acumen, finance. They have tons of great free resources and lots of great experiential learning programs. You can find out more by going to their website, which is advantageperformance.com. That's advantageperformance.com. All right, thank you again for listening. I appreciate you and I will talk to you next time. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat.